Well, good evening. Good to have you guys back at Alpha week number seven. See, you guys have hung in there and you've made it quite a ways since I think the last time I was here was week number one. Great to be back with you. Uh, Frank was out of town this week, so he has entrusted to me the topic of evil. And I'm trying not to take that personal, but uh, I don't know if he thought I was better qualified than he was to speak on evil or what. But that's where we're going to go in just a minute. But I do have a little uh, announcement for you. You'll notice a little ad here for the Alpha Weekend. Alpha Weekend is a kind of a special Alpha uh, gathering. So it's very similar to what we've been doing as you guys have come together on Tuesday nights, except it happens on Friday evening and Saturday morning. So uh, dinner at 6.30 on May the 19th, that's a Friday evening, and then breakfast at 8.30 uh, the next morning. And kind of right through about midday there, things get concluded. And You know, folks who have attended the Alpha course, you know, they walk away with all kinds of experiences and and most of the folks haven't been traumatized too bad and they've enjoyed the time that they've had here. Uh, But that weekend in particular for many just sticks out. It's just a unique time, uh, just something about uh, making room in your life for God you know, I think, I think as we've been kind of going through the material here and answering some questions about life, I know the room's full of all kinds of different folks, and there are some who are trying to figure out just exactly where they are in their belief or why they believe what they believe. They definitely believe something about God, just trying to, to get some clarity on what exactly that is. But for folks who recognize, you know, I've I'm, I'm, I'm come to this course believing that there's a God. I just feel like I'm not really connected to Him all that well. I just... You know, and I even believe that he cares about me. But he just doesn't feel real and and I get it. Sometimes I don't make room for God in my life. And many folks would say that, and there's something about this weekend, about taking a Friday night and a Saturday and just saying, Hey God, here's a here's some time for you to interact with me. And God just takes advantage of that and shows up and folks walk away having been impacted by time with God. So, so if it's at all possible for you to set some time aside, I think your table host will give you a little bit more information about uh, maybe registering for that. I think they take care of that through the tables. But you've got a couple of weeks to square those times away and, and, and try and make that work in your schedule. All right, well tonight... We're going to talk about how to resist evil, and I'm going to steer off course. Uh, You have your cool little book here, and I'm not going to be in the cool little book at all. So put your cool book away. Uh, Apart from borrowing the topic, I think that's about as close as I get to what the writer of the course actually thought we should be talking about tonight. But I have my own brand of evil for us to talk about. Um, But, you know, if we're going to talk about evil, you know what's interesting we started doing the Alpha Course back in about 2001, somewhere up in that time frame. And, and actually, I used to do all the weeks. And so I actually did used to do this talk on evil. So I went back and looked at, what did I used to say? You know, times have changed a bit. So if I say we're going to talk about evil tonight, you know, 15 years ago, I wouldn't have had to cover some of what we're going to cover tonight. Because... And maybe for some here in the room here, questions like, well, what exactly is evil have to be answered? And do I even believe that there's a concept called evil out there? Or is it just a matter of dispute? Some people see it one way, some people see it another. Things have changed quite a bit. So I, I, 
going to give a little bit of a model here to put up, and we're just going to define some concepts that are related to what the Bible depicts in this category of evil. What's the Bible have to say about evil? Where does it come from? What's it like? How does it interact with us in the world that we live in? I know we're somewhat debating the Bible a little bit in this course. We're trying to figure out, hey, what do we believe versus what the Bible says. But at least let's just get the Bible in front of us and see what it has to say about this topic of evil. So if we were going to talk about a concept of evil, there would be three elements that the Bible is going to bring out. We're going to visit all three of these. It's going to bring out the concept that evil is related to a, a spiritual personality. Right? There is a spiritual being in this world, and he has a personality. Right? So he's just not like a principle of good and evil that's out there. No, there's a spiritual being in the world, the Bible predicts, or depicts that for us. So whether you know him as the devil or Satan, and we have all kinds of ideas about who he might be, and some of them are really crazy ideas, but the Bible definitely presents a spiritual being who has a personality. He's got, he's got concepts and ideas that, that form what he does and why he does it. But that's not all we know about evil. right? It'd be, it'd be simple just to associate evil with this you know, guy in red pajamas and a pitchfork. But there's, there's evil that comes into our world. And there's evil that comes into our lives. And so we have to talk a little bit about things like temptation. Because people face temptations. And those temptations are the thing that comes right before sometimes we act on those and we sin and evil comes into full bloom in our world. So when the Bible talks about these things, it's going to talk about all three of those things. But let me just start with the concept of evil. Um, Is there such a thing as evil? Can, Can you look at something today and point at that thing over there and go, that thing right there, that's evil. That's downright evil. Now, it almost feels awkward to do that. Because in the same way that it feels awkward to look at any human behavior out in, in the world, any human behavior you come across and say, that right there, that's wrong. It almost feels like, ooh, you, you can't tell people that's, that's wrong. And something's happened, even in my own lifetime, some, some shift of ideas has happened. Right, so there's a word called toleration. That's that's the buzzword today, right? We tolerate all kinds of things. Well, people have always tolerated things. That's not a new word, but it, it's gotten new status. Right? My dad was born in 1918. He tolerated things, but he tolerated things at this level. Today, people tolerate things at this level. We're called on to tolerate all kinds of things. We, and it, it feels like that's right. We should be just tolerant of people who do things different than us. And then there's the idea that everybody's got their own personal view, their own personal opinion, their own personal feelings about something. So if somebody feels really strongly about something, well, who are you to step in and say, well, that's wrong or that's evil? Right? So that's not a comfortable thing for us to do. But that's not how our ancestors lived. That's not even how generations before us lived. They, they, they didn't have a problem throwing around ideas like something's good and something's evil. Right? But whatever happened to evil? It's an interesting thought. I mean, Russ Schaefer he wrote a book called Whatever Happened to Good and Evil. He said, here's a line I often hear. Goodness, like beauty, is in the eye of the beholder. If I think something is good, well, it is. If you think it's bad, well, it is. Personal opinion is the measure 
of morality. To suppose that there are moral standards independent of such opinion? Well, that's just wishful thinking or an expression of arrogance. He says, clearly, morality is something that we made for ourselves. Others have come to different conclusions about how to live their lives. Who are we to say that they are mistaken? Right, so within that idea, that concept pervades how we view human life and human behavior, it gets a little challenging for anything to be labeled evil. Right? So we're talking about a topic tonight, it's a little bit hard to find its ground today in our lives. But when you come to the Bible, right, if the Bible has any weight to it, if the Bible is an accurate representation of God's thoughts and ideas, and that's what it claims to be, well, the Bible throws around all kinds of terms, right? It, and it's, it doesn't have a problem using them. Terms like wicked, it calls things wicked. It calls things darkness or light with all the sense of, you know, hiddenness of a dark situation. And, and light is a totally different situation. There's good and there's evil in the Bible. And those terms are used all over the place. And God uses the term wicked this way. Here's just one example. In the book of Judges it says, The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So God looked out at life being done by his, his people, his people of Israel in the Old Testament, and he observed something they were doing in this setting that he said, you know what that is right there? That's evil. And so God doesn't have a problem applying these terminologies to our lives. Our generations before us didn't have a problem with it. My generation, not so bad, but if you're younger than me, your generation is, is getting to where it's almost like it's not okay to do that. Now, which generation is right in that? You know, sometimes it can just feel like the Johnny-come-lately idea is the, is the latest and greatest idea. But I, I choose, and you, you have to make your own decision in this category, but I choose to live my ideas underneath the God who has always existed, His ideas. He's got ideas about life. And you know, if he can look at life and say, that's evil, then I've got to believe something can be called evil in this world. If we're going to have any ability to come to grips logically with a topic like evil, I think for a second, if you're finding your way directionally, and I tell you to go up to the third floor, for you to go up, there has to be a what? A down. It's got to exist, right? If I say, go east 150 miles. If I tell you to go east, there's got to be a... Right? I mean, this is, these are just the way in which spatial ideas work. Moral ideas work that way as well. So if there is an evil, then there must also be a good, right? And how do we define good? And we're going to discover that tonight because it's pretty important to label that the way God labels it. But you know, for those of us who are, are living in a world that feels very vague, very non-committed to any of these particular principles, what do you do with the sense of, of moral outrage that builds up inside of us? Right? Sometimes you're going to look at the news one night and you're going to see something and inside of you something is, is, is outraged by what you see. You don't just look at that casually and say, well, you know, it's up to them. It's good for them, Right? Nobody watched 9-11 happen and just stared at that indifferently and thought, 
Well, I don't know, babe. You think that's good or bad? Right, as buildings are collapsing and storylines are, are being portrayed of women who went to work one day and will never come home to their children ever again. Those kids are without a mom or a dad, or both in some cases. So these tragic situations. And, and you know, and this stuff's getting close to home, right? I mean, you watch the news headlines and carjackings and, and the amount of shootings we've had in Metairie in the last month and a half or so. Just people that, you know... Our neighborhoods that you and I live in, somebody got shot the next block over. Another somebody else, three or four people killed in an apartment. Another two people killed in another apartment. This is just becoming common fare. Right? I remember a gut-wrenching event happened a number of years ago in our church. A lady and her family were part of the church, and her daughter had two children. Uh, one of them was in the backseat of the car. It was a one-year-old little boy named Etienne, and her car was carjacked. And the guy ripped off I don't know how many bullets and ended up killing the little one-year-old boy in the back seat of the car. And it just shot through our hearts. Right? You know, you look at situations, senseless taking of life for the sake of having somebody's car and that little one-year-old boy is gone. I got no problem looking at that and saying that is evil. There is a concept out there of something that we know this is so out of place. It's out of bounds. right? And we live in a history moment. There's been lots out of bounds. Oz Guinness wrote a book called Unspeakable. He says, The scale and scope of evil has increased in the modern world. Which is kind of funny because I think we think as we've advanced as a civilization, more technology, more science, we're just smarter people, that With that would come a more civilized way of doing life. Our societies would be more peaceful. But but this is interesting analysis. It's not. To anyone who thinks deeper than the morning headlines, the atrocity of September 11th forms part of the wider record of the dark catalog of human evil in modern history and pales beside the worst of the evils. The Ottoman massacre of 1.5 million Armenians in World War I and the Rwandan and Sudanese massacres in the 1990s in which nearly 3 million people died are like a pair of bookends that frame the 20th century as the most murderous century in all of history. This is pretty modern, right? This is modern people like us. The most murderous century in history. Leaving aside the 100 million human beings killed in the century's wars, more than 100 million more were killed by their fellow human beings in political repression, massacre, and genocide. Horrible stories. If you go back and study history outside of America, you will find horrible stories of how people have been treated. You guys might, some of you are old enough to remember these. Cambodia's Pol Pot slaughtered 2 million People, a quarter of his nation's population. Stalin murdered 30 million people. Mao Zedong, 65 million people. And the three or four million victims of the current civil war in the Congo. Right? These are staggering numbers. Now, a lot of these didn't get the headlines that, like, maybe Adolf Hitler got. Six million Jews killed by his Nazi regime. Five million others 
killed in his death camps that were not Jews. But that really does make 9-11 pale in comparison, doesn't it? Right, so these are outrageous events. And when we stare back at a, an Adolf Hitler and Nazi ideas, we, we don't look at those and ponder whether that's good or not. Or whether we should tolerate it or not. Right? That's evil. Right? And here's what's disturbing. right? Because Here's the, the big challenge. The second I impose ideas on us, like good and evil... I'm speaking from an idea that there's like a ruler out there somewhere, right? There's something out there that you can measure stuff with. You can say, "Uh, no, that's evil. Let me see that. No, that's good. But what's the ruler? What gets to say what's good and what's evil? Especially today in a world where, well, it's kind of left up to you. Well, what's, what's the Nazi regime? Were they on to something good? I mean, could we sit here today and say the idea that there was a superior race, that the best thing that could happen to the human race was for the superior race to wipe out the weaker members of the race in order to raise up a dominant, powerful, superior race of beings. Well, you know what's really strange about me saying it that way? Is that's Charles Darwinism. That's evolution. The theory of evolution is a very impersonal process. It is just a matter of superior gene pools that overthrow inferior gene pools and replicate over and over and over and over and over again. I mean, there's no emotional element to that. It's just one better set of genes overtakes another set of genes. Genetics. It's just biology. right? And that's that's what you're left with when you extract a creator out of our universe. You're, you're left with organisms that are just evolving randomly, scientifically, from one degree to another, and the weaker are giving way to the stronger. And if that's all life really is, then how can you really say what's good and what's evil? Right? This is really is a short discussion tonight. If that's all we have, if we're just a, you know, a blob of tissue and chemical matter organized together, and one day we'll all be gone. We'll we'll just evolve into something else. Something else will take over. And is that evil? No, man, it's just the way it is. Don't get all riled up. But there's something in us that gets all riled up, right? Because there's something in us that says there is a good, and there is an evil. You know, I don't know if the plants do this to each other, you know, when they just, you know, one dies and it gives way to another one, they kind of go through this process of evolution. But there's something in us that feels different about that. We, there's a moral outrage that a race of people would, would exercise superiority over others and would put them to death and take advantage of their strength over their weakness. We see that as wrong. And there's something in us that sees that as wrong. So where do we get these ideas of good and evil? Right? Where did this concept come from? Well, if we back up into the Bible and look in Genesis chapter 1. So we're going back to the first book of the Bible. You're not going to get three verses into the Bible before God starts using the term good. Right? So this is a very important concept that God's going to lay out in front of us. Genesis 1 verse 3 says, And God said, Let there be light... And there was light. He just spoke and 
creative actions took place. And God saw that the light was good. So that's the first time that term is ever used. And then just a few verses later, after God's done six days of creation, it says, And God saw everything he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And then during those six days, the last thing God did was he created man. He said, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And so man is made a particular way, right? He's representing something. And that's very important to see. Right? Man is not, you know, if, you, if you're an evolutionist, you just think man accidentally got put together. And so therefore his destiny and his way of doing life, it's, it's not defined. He does whatever. But if he really is that, then there's, there shouldn't be anything in us that gets outraged over moral evil. It just shouldn't be there. But if there's a God who created humanity and he said, this is who you are. I'm going to make you like me. You're going to be an image of me. So now there's a, there's a reason for our existence. There's something that defines our lives. So he said, let's make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. So here's where we get the idea of what good is. It is God creating everything that exists... And for it to function the way he created it, that's what good is. Right? That's where the origin of the word good comes from. Now listen, if you're going to try and define evil without defining good, you've got your hands full. Because you've got no starting place. But the Bible actually starts with the idea of good. So based on that, here's what, I'm going to give you my own kind of definition here of good. Good is this. The world that God created fulfilling the purpose that the creator gave it. That's what God calls good. And he was able to say, hey, the light's coming on. That's good. Because the lights are fulfilling the purpose that I gave to it. And the plants that grew out of the ground, he said, that's good. Because they were fulfilling the purpose that God gave to those plants. And when he created man, he said, you are made in my image. That's good. When creation lives for God's purpose, that's good. When creation deviates from God's purpose, it enters into the realm of evil. Now, this is the construct of the Bible. Now, you and I, we come to these terms and they've been used for a while. And they're connected to cultures and civilizations and the way people dress and behave in another part of the world or a thousand years ago, etc. So we're tempted to say, well, you know, Keith, good and evil, you know, those are social constructs. Right, you know what one group calls evil. You know, a hundred years later, they don't call it evil anymore. And then what this group calls evil on this side of the planet and over here, they don't call that evil. It's just made up from society. But actually, according to the Bible, good and evil existed before man existed. So they were already defined concepts. Right? You'd remember God creates Adam and Eve and places them in the Garden of Eden, an Eden that's already been created. And he tells them, there's this one particular tree in the Garden of Eden that I do not want you to eat. You are forbidden to eat from this tree. It is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
So there was something to know of good and evil before man ever put his foot on planet earth. Before they had a conversation, before they sat down and said, you know what, that haircut, that's evil. That's horrible. What the heck were you thinking? They hadn't had any conversations like that at all. God had already determined there was a good and there was an evil. So what exactly is evil then? Well, evil is definitely, it's a, it's a behavior. It's actions. The Bible goes as far as to describe attitudes as well. We can have evil attitudes, evil intentions, evil thoughts, anger in our hearts can be evil. So there's actions and attitudes. But when evil comes on the scene, here's my, my three pieces to evil. That if we want to really understand, how do I resist evil? Well, I've got to understand where it comes from. When evil makes its way onto the scene of the human experience, it is introduced to man by a creature, by another spiritual being. Right. So let's go back to my outline here. If evil exists... It is portrayed as being associated with a spiritual being that the Bible is going to describe as Satan. In Genesis chapter 3, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Right. So here comes the serpent. And the Bible is going to define later. This, this serpent is... The devil taking the form of this being. And he's going to communicate with Adam and Eve. And he's got a goal in this communication. He just wants them to deviate from what God called good. God said, my creation is good. My people that I've made, they're good. I'm putting you in the garden. It's good. you got one thing don't do. Don't eat from that tree over there. And everything will stay good. And when the serpent comes in, he introduces this one idea. Hmm. Did God really say don't eat of that tree? And Eve explains, yeah, that's what what we're told. Well, you know why God said that to you? Because he's afraid that if you eat of that tree, you're going to become wise like him. You're going to be like him. Right, so there's an introduction here. This is where you get to see where temptation is associated with evil. Because they're about to do something evil. They're about to take God's creation and do with it what he said don't do. And that comes through temptation. This creature is going to tempt them to not do life God's way. Don't use God's creation the way God wanted you to do it. You use it for you. And it'll go better for you. Because you can't really trust God. He's not telling you the truth. Right, so this is, this is the introduction to evil. It comes through a creature, through a spiritual being. Right, if we fast forward all the way from the Garden of Eden way into the New Testament, in the book of Acts chapter 26, God speaks this word to the Apostle Paul and tells him, Apostle Paul, you're on a mission to do something here. He says, I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. Right, So we already get a sense that that's a good thing. Right? Turning from darkness, this is good news. You're going to turn from darkness to light. Well, what does that tell me about darkness? Not a good thing. You're turning from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. So the depiction of what God does in touching a person's life is that. He says, Paul, I want you to go and bring the message that I've given you about how people can have a relationship with me. 
And when they do that, they'll be turning from darkness to light. They'll be turning from the power of this spiritual being known as Satan to me, the living God. And this is how God presents that. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul, the apostle, is writing in the first century. He says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So the Bible depicts that this creature that was in the garden, this entity known as Satan, he's a prince somehow. He's like a ruling class spiritual being in this world who has the ability to do things to interact with people. Here it describes him as as being at work in the sons of disobedience, right? Inside of people who disobey God. And that's what he did in the garden, right? So this spiritual being is the one who introduces evil to us. First John, I don't think I have this one up there. First John <clears throat> says, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. All right, so this is what the Bible says. So there is evil in our world and the Bible would say, well, where does it come from? Right, because we look out, we watch the news and you know, <clears throat> last time I checked for some of these horrible things that were happening, nobody in the news headlines saying, and the devil got somebody to shot another guy tonight. You know, that just never comes out in the news. So does that mean that's not, he's not involved. He's not real. He's, a, you know, the pajama guy with a red pitchfork. And he's not, come on, somebody made him up. Well, listen, the Bible speaks about him as though he's a real spiritual being. And he influences the world that we live in. So let's suppose this is true. What, what does this do for you and me as we go out and do life? Right, nobody in here would disagree. Somewhere in the coming days, weeks, months, years, you are going to encounter evil. It's going to bump into your life. And the question of how do I resist it or how do I overcome this evil that's in this world? Well, if, if life is just... Material possessions, it's physical things, that's all it is. Well, then I've got to go find my answer in that realm. So we bump into evil and we try and fix our lives because evil puts dents in our lives. And we try to fix it. Well, what do we reach to? If evil's got no association with a spiritual being, then we're going to reach for something probably not spiritual to solve those issues. You know, there's lots of self-help books that are out there. There's all kinds of things inside of us that, that we're going to see in a moment actually qualify to be called evil. But we want to overcome some of those things. We want to change. We want to, we want to get free from some of that stuff. Well, how do you do that? Well, you know what? There's no, there's no devil out there. There's no spiritual being out there messing with the human life. Well, if I want to go change and live different, well, then I guess I approach it one way. But if there is a spiritual being who has influence in people's lives and he does things that are tempting, well then I might need a different kind of help. If this is true, resisting evil takes on a little bit different dimension in our lives. Right, well, here's what the Bible says about the nature of this evil. Right. So here we move from there's a spiritual being, that's part of evil. But there's also this temptation because if the spiritual being can't communicate with us, he can't connect with us, he can't, he can't offer you a deal, then he kind of can't get evil to come into our world. Right? So for the evil to come into the world the way it did, he had to have a conversation with Adam and Eve. 
So that's where temptation comes in. And so evil needs temptation as well. Genesis chapter 6, just a number of years after we were in the Garden of Eden, Genesis 6 verse 5 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So, so God takes this microscope, if you will, and he goes inside of humanity, and he said, you know what? On the inside of you guys, you're just conniving and planning and thinking about what you can do next. That's not what I had planned for what I created. This is on the. This is if you know anything about where the Bible is here at this moment. Genesis chapter six. We're on the verge of Noah's Ark. We're on the verge of God destroying the world with a flood, because He looks into the heart of man and He says, "All you guys do is think about what you can do next." Out of bounds, the evil of man's hearts. Genesis chapter eight, verse twenty-one. It says, "For the intention of man's heart is evil." From his youth. Well, that's an interesting depiction for man. So where does, how does evil get into our world? How do we read headlines? Is it the devil doing all that stuff? Well, maybe he's involved at some level. But the Bible says that there's evil inside the hearts of man. And that's where temptation comes from, which eventually gives way to sin. Psalm 55 Verse 15 says, For evil is in their dwelling place and in their hearts. And then Mark in his gospel gives us some details here that, you know, right before you even look at that, now you're tempted to read that passage. Don't, don't read it just yet. If I were to just fire the question at you, do you think there's evil in your heart? How, how would you feel that? Maybe that's a good question for you guys to talk about at the table. Do you think there's evil in your own heart? I mean, we're, we're suburban Americans, for goodness sake. How evil can we be, you know? I mean, this is not like we're in some communist regime or some terrible thing that we're, you know, drug dealers. Is there evil in our hearts? Well, I guess that would depend on how you define evil, wouldn't it? Which would depend on how you define good, right? Well, listen to what Mark says is evil. Mark 7, verse 20, it says, And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft. I mean, I'm already done. I'm already done, right? I mean, I look back over my life, and I'm done already. Okay, I'm convinced I'm evil. Murder, adultery, coveting. That's a nice white-collar crime right there. Right? This is a suburban American one. Coveting. Nobody ever coveted anything in suburban America. Wickedness. Deceit. Right? That's a big fancy word for you liar, you. Just filled out your IRS form and didn't exactly include some things, did you? That was, I know tax season was just sensuality. Envy. Right? Nobody. None of us are guilty of envy. Right? You've never looked at somebody else and said, no, look at that guy's life. You know, why does he get all the breaks? Slander. You've never been in a rage, typed something on your account and went public with it. Oops, got to take that down. Just slandered somebody. Pride, foolishness. And then Mark says, all these evil things come from within. And they defile a person. 
wait a minute, all these evil things? All right, they're not ideal, they're not the best, I get that. But evil, really, those things qualify for evil. You just went through a list that had Stalin on it and, and Adolf Hitler. I don't think I'm that bad a person. Well, I didn't say you were as bad as Adolf Hitler. But that doesn't mean I'm not evil in my heart. Because where does evil get its definition from? From good. And what is it that's good? Well, good is when God's created world lives for God's created purpose. And so the moment I decide, I don't think I want to do that today. In God's explanation, that's an evil thought. I want to use my time, my life, for my purposes, my way. And maybe I don't want to be some axe murderer or just commit fraud. But I just, I just want to do something that's just a little bit out of bounds for what God had for my life to do. God says, well, Keith, that's the definition for evil. When you start taking my world and hijacking it for your purposes, that's evil. Now, maybe it's not as evil as that guy over there, but it's still evil. And see, this is where sin and temptation operate in our lives. This is an interesting passage. James chapter 1. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Right? In other words, something inside of me wanted to do that. Why'd you do that? Well, the devil made me do it. Well, maybe. Maybe introduce the idea to you. Maybe advertise that he's a really good salesman and you were biting hook, line, and sinker. But according to this passage, Keith, why'd you do it? Because I wanted to. My own desire is what made me do it. Then desire, when it is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. And the death part is what you and I read about and see in the news every night. We see the end of this process. But early on in this process, there was a spiritual being who flooded the world with a false advertisement who told people, hey, look, you don't have to use God's world God's way. You can do it your own way. And it's pretty cool if you do. So he sells that. And something inside the heart of man that is corrupted says, huh, I kind of like that idea. I think, tell me a little bit more about that. Now, when I go to do it, it's not as though I can ever stand before God and say, God, the devil made me do it. All right, by the way, Eve tried to pull that one. I did that because, yeah, I liked his idea, but something in me wanted something for me. I wanted what I wanted. And therefore, I lived my life the way I wanted to live it. And God says, well, that's what temptation and sin looks like. And where did that come from? Well, it did come from an evil world with a devil in it, but it came from my own heart. See, this is where, you know, how do I resist evil? It's really easy to stand up here and say, hey, guys, there's this devil out there. He's really bad. You know, here's a couple of spells you can cast on him to keep him off of you. Um, you know, all that does is tell you that evil's out there. It's out there. There's evil people out there. There's, there's evil beings out there. But it never stops and says, and you're one of them. It never breaks the news to you that you are part of the evil that's in this world. And again, don't freak out on me with that. Don't say, well, 
You're, you're not Adolf Hitler. You're not, you're not that kind of evil. But there's a little piece of us that wants to do things our own way. And this is, this is sobering reality, right? Because the Bible's going to come along and diagnose my heart condition. Right, so when I read Mark, as we did a minute ago, I, I learned from Dr. Mark that I have heart disease. <laughs> I, I've got a serious heart disease in me because I see the symptoms that he had on that list. Not all of them, but some of them. And he said those things come from the evil that's within my heart. So now, how do I resist evil when I find out it's inside of me? That's a different question, isn't it? This is a little more complicated than, well, just avoid bad company. (laughs) Stop hanging around those fools. Well, I hang around me all the time. (laughs) And there's this thing inside of me that I'm learning is a little bit of a problem here. This thought from Michael Horton. He says, thinking that their problem was merely shame rather than guilt, Adam and Eve covered themselves with loincloths, and ever since we have found ourselves incapable, or rather unwilling, to accept the radical diagnosis of our own depravity. He says, we can talk about evil outside of us, the others, whoever they may be, evil places, structures, forces, and principles, But like the religious leaders whom Jesus challenged, we refuse to locate evil within ourselves. So if God's going to deal with evil, or you and I are going to deal with evil, there's these three parts to dealing with evil. There's that evil creature who exists, a spiritual being, a real spiritual being, not like in the movies. There is this condition in my heart that's a challenge. That gives way to temptation and sin. And then evil comes flooding into our lives in all kinds of forms and fashions. So here's how we resist evil. How am I doing on time here? Okay. How do I resist evil? First, an evil being must be resisted and overcome. And only Christ can do that. Jesus Christ came into this world. And one of the things he came in to do, and it was a very interesting early priority in his ministry. When Jesus goes public... What he does right before he goes public, you guys, if you're familiar at all with some of these Bible stories, Jesus goes off into the wilderness in order to encounter the devil and to be tempted by him. He goes to face the devil in a showdown, if you will. And the devil's going to give him his best shot, going to tempt him to, to do not good. Jesus, why don't you just... Why don't you just not do it God's way just a little bit? He actually, this was a simple thing. You know, turn those rocks into bread. You're hungry. Turn the rocks into bread. What would be so bad about the Son of God turning the rocks into bread? Well, not a whole lot, except it was a deviation from what God the Father had planned for him. But is it evil? I mean, if you guys had the power to turn rocks into bread, would you think that's evil? That's not evil, is it? Unless that's not God's plan for you. And that was a temptation. And so Jesus comes into this world to face this spiritual being and to overcome him. And since we have this problem, the question for us is, if that's not how you overcome him, how do you overcome him? How would you ever overcome the devil? Book of Revelation chapter 7, we kind of go behind the scenes here. It says, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. 
And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him. How do you conquer this spiritual being? Well, they did in this story. They have conquered him. How? By the blood of the Lamb. I know Frank talked about Jesus Christ and his sacrificial death on the cross. He was called the Lamb of God. And his blood was shed. And it says, They conquered the devil by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. So Jesus Christ did something when he shed his blood and died that enables you and I to overcome this invisible spiritual being that is in our world with us who tempts people to deviate from God's plan and live a different life. But apart from Jesus Christ, there's nobody out there who can beat the devil. He's pretty good at what he does. And he's an incredible being. I mean, from how the Bible describes him, he, he, he was not always a fallen creature, anti-God. He was once a splendid, magnificent, angelic being who lived before God. And, and the Bible even depicts him as maybe being the greatest of all that God had created. And something happened on the inside of him that he wanted more than what he was. He wanted to deviate from what God had created him to be. And then evil entered his heart and changed him forever. And then he decided he would be against God. And that's what he'd do for others. He'd tempt them to depart from God's plan. So that's who this spiritual being is. So how do we overcome him? I can't see here. All right. Well, here's our second problem, right? Man's infected or corrupted heart must be healed and changed. How do you change your heart? How do you heal your heart from this heart disease of evil that's inside of us? Well, the Bible says this in Ezekiel chapter 36. It says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. God's going to take the heart out that's full of evil and self-centeredness and wants to deviate from God's plan. And he says... I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. See, here's God saying, I've got a plan for you. But there's this evil in every human heart that doesn't want God's plan. I want my plan. And I, matter of fact, I'd like God to help me with my plan. I don't know how you are. That's the deal I'd like to make with God. Right? God, I've had these ideas. I had ideas when I was 7 years old, 17 years old, 20 I've got ideas. And, you know, and, oh, there's this thing called prayer. Is, is prayer where you talk God into your ideas? Is that what prayer is? I love it. That sounds great. God, could you get on board with me? I'd like this and this and this and this. I mean, I don't, don't raise your hand here, but how many are PO'd at God because God won't get on board with you? I mean, really, that's how we feel. Right? God let this thing happen and he didn't let this advance in my life and I'm not important enough in that category and this good thing happened to them but it didn't happen to me. God, why don't you get on board with my ideas? But that's not how God operates. God had ideas. 
And he placed us in his ideas. And my heart wants what it wants until God changes my heart. And he's the only one who can do that. I have no ability to reach inside of me, pull one out and get a new one and stick it in. But God says he can do that. Right? And all the way into the New Testament, 2 Corinthians, it says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the, this outside flesh, even though we once regarded Christ that way. Right? Jesus came to the earth and you could get a physical body, you could see him. Oh, I lost my place. We regard him that way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So how do you deal with the evil that's inside the human heart? Well, God comes and gives you a new heart and makes you a new person. That's God's remedy. You know, you know what's not God's remedy? For God to, to pull up like he's a, a moral teacher with a big, thick book that we've decided to call the Bible full of all kinds of rules and, and how to do. It's a big how-to manual. And he shows up in the form of Jesus and pulls out this book and says, Hey guys, I'm here to cheer you on. You know, Listen, I know there's all this stuff about you having an evil heart, but if you'll just try harder, if you'll just look, read this more carefully, and come on, get in line with this. Pull this stuff off. You can do it. That's not the Bible. That's not how God teaches. God says, you know what? There's an evil inside your heart that you will never do this unless I change your heart and make you into a new person. That's what Christianity really is. It's not people coming along with a whole new set of, you know, when you finish the Alpha Course, we don't give you like an Encyclopedia Britannica volume of new rules. Here you go. New rules. Have at it. Good luck. Thanks for joining us. Uh, the only hope for living a, a, the Christian life that God had in mind is that somehow mysteriously that old heart of mine needs to be removed and a new heart needs to be put in its place so that I can live a new life for new reasons. And God said in Ezekiel, I would actually want to do the things. And I, I get a bad rap sometimes. I'm going to stop here just a second. I get a bad rap as, as a preacher. Um, that you know, It sounds like I'm up here hawking my ideas, right? Doesn't it? You know, I'm saying, hey, you ought to live this way. You, know, you, ought to, you ought to not be doing that. People who do that are bad. You shouldn't do that. You ought to do this over here. Do you understand? There was a point in my life where I had my own script and I was living my own way. And, and I, I could have gone to jail. I should have gone to jail. Uh, there were lots of ideas in my life that I found pleasure over here. This is pleasurable. It's hidden. No one knows I'm doing it. It's kind of shameful too. I'm not going to let this out in public. I had my own little world I was living in because I liked it. And then I encountered a God who reached into my heart and changed something. And suddenly, I started wanting new things. And those things that I used to have a desire for, I started saying no to them. So, you know, don't get the wrong impression. I haven't always been on board with these ideas. <laughs> I haven't always liked God's ideas. God had to change my mind. He had to sell me on some things to convince me that his way was a good way. But God said he would do that from the inside out. He wouldn't just slap you with a book and say, Here, try harder. You lazy, no good. Try harder. No, he said, you know... It's not about you trying harder. It's about you having your heart changed in such a way that you actually want to do differently than you are. Right? Last thing that's got to happen. Sin is present in our lives in an interesting way. 
Sin must lose its legal rights over us. And only Christ can make that happen. Right? Sin is in our lives because it has a legal right to be there. The moment anyone in humanity sins, we break our relationship with God and we enter into a legal agreement, a covenant relationship with sin. It's got a right to be here. And you can not like it or you can like it. There's things in you that you know, yeah, I do this and it's sinful, whatever. But it's not going anywhere because you don't have the legal rights to kick it out. But Jesus Christ does because he defeated sin. He did something for us that nobody else can do. In Romans, this is a complicated concept. I was a little hesitant to give you this verse, but just listen to what it says. It says, we know that our old self, right, that, that old one with the old heart and the old desires, was crucified with Christ, with him, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, controlled by sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, he will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Right? Sin operates in us. And you see, you got these evil comes in this package. Right? It's got a tempter, it's got a corrupt heart on the inside of us, and it's got these passions and desires that give in to temptations. So, you know, listen, I mean, a lot of people in this room, right? Somebody in here has given in to the temptation to go outside of their marriage and commit adultery. And it brought consequences into your marriage. It brought great regret. Maybe you had to reinvent your whole life and start over again and go pursue another relationship and do something else. There's, there's folks, you know, I've got family members that were in my life that drugs and alcohol dominated their world. In this description, don't let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey their passions. I watched my family forced, if you will, to keep doing what was destroying their lives. And no matter how much I pleaded, reasoned, tried to help, it was one bottle after another. And it looked exactly like what that Bible verse says. It made them obey those passions. And it brought all kinds of heartache and destruction into people's lives. Broken marriages. Tons of money spent in recovery programs. How do you fix that? Just go get your Bible and say, hey, try harder. Try harder. Uh, Well, you fix that by looking to Jesus Christ who overcame sin. See, Jesus has overcome these things. Evil has been overcome. It was overcome by Jesus Christ. And I can go to him and he would change my heart and give me new desires in my life. So he beat the the devil. He changes hearts. And then he puts new desires in us and releases us from the control of sin. So when you say, hey, well, how do you resist evil? You know, and that may sound like a little bit of a complicated answer, but resisting evil is a whole lot more than just staying away from the bad part of town. Because there's issues in here, the Bible says. 
that are going to show up in all kinds of categories in my life. But listen, now you guys, are, you're thinking through, what is this, this Christianity? What, what is it about? Etc. You know, there are unique things about Christianity. If you study world religion, you will not find some of what I just described in world religion. What you will find in world religions, what makes them all very similar, it is human beings doing the best they can in their own power to self-improve their situation. Find me a religion, and I'll tell you exactly, that's what it's teaching you to do. It's got a different book than that one does over there. It's got some different practices that you do throughout the year and throughout the day. But at the end of the day, it's human beings doing their best job to put their best foot forward to improve their lives with thinking different and acting different. I hope you've heard this as you've attended. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity is a God who comes and says, let me just explain to you why the world's out of control the way it is. And I'm the only one who can fix it. And if you'll trust me, I'll fix you. And eventually, I'm going to fix the whole world. I'm going to turn the lights out on this world the way it is right now. And I'm going to reinvent the whole thing. And you'll get to live in that place forever. But for right now, if you'll let me come into your life this way, if you'll trust me, I'll come in and fix the evil that's in you. Even if it's nice evil, I'll come fix that. And give you new desires and give you a new life. And listen, as I think I shared in the first week, it's hard not to be excited about that. Because I I know the road I was headed down. I was headed down the same road that my family went down. All my family is dead. And I have too many of them who drank themselves into the grave. And I was headed in that same direction. And it wasn't because I'm better than them. It wasn't because I pulled myself up by my bootstraps and I decided by my own determination I ain't going down that road. I didn't do any of that. I just opened a Bible up and started discovering this God who said he would come into my life and he would would make things different. He would touch the, the, the needs that were in me. And that changed me forever and changed the course that I was on. I hope Christianity doesn't sound like to you that it's a bunch of people who think they're better than everybody else. Because I can tell you right now, I'm as bad as the, the worst of y'all in here. I'm convinced. I know Mark is describing me when he talks about an evil heart. I know he is. Now, you may not have figured that out about you yet. It's a humbling thing to recognize that. Okay, yeah, I'm evil. I get it. <laughs> That's a little humbling. Because I'd like to think highly of me. I'd like you to think highly of me. But it's just... Not a fact. Sorry. (laughs) But there is a God who knows that inside of each of us there's this evil that we're never going to overcome on our own. But if we'll trust him, he will come and he will make a difference in our lives. All right, well, that's that's my evil thoughts for the night. All right, you guys got like a five minute break here to run to the bathroom, come back, and when you come back, you come share all your evil thoughts with each other.